Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? I know I promised you a Q&A. I promise it's coming. Time is at a little bit of a premium, and I also had the opportunity to interview my friend Carolyn Lynch-Parcells, who is a pediatrician out in Texas um, and just has a ton of really important information about COVID-19 to share with us. So the Q&A is getting bumped a little bit. I plan to post it over the weekend. Tomorrow I will have a normal podcast. No mention of COVID-19 for those of you who need the break. Today we're talking specifically about COVID-19 with Dr. Lynch Parcells. And we go into a number of different areas, where to look for information, what we actually do need to worry about when it comes to this virus and what we don't need to worry about so much when it comes to this virus, some ways to manage being stuck at home and managing sort of the splash radius of this situation, and also how it's affecting the medical community and why that's so important. So I hope you find this useful. I hope you find it informative. It is not intended to be scary. It is intended to provide hope and support. All right, let's get rolling. Dr. Carolyn Lynch-Parcells, we've got you on to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic that's happening and and how we should be thinking about it, how should we, we should be approaching it. Where do you want to start? I think that there's just a lot of questions out there and there's, and I think the biggest question first and foremost is where do you find answers? Where do you get good information? I repeat, good information, because there is a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff floating around on Facebook and the Twitterverse and the whatever else. The CDC and your local health department are going to be your two primary sources of information, in addition to your own physician, right? Because they're going to be getting updates locally and there are differences based on where you live and so knowing those resources the cdc is actually doing some really nice youtube videos on a very regular basis and they have each one has a different topic they're fairly short they're very well done and they offer a lot of really good information so that's one of the main places that i would go um that's where of course we as physicians are getting our information as well as the NIH and the WHO. But I think for regular folk, the CDC is definitely going to be your go-to. And like I said, they're putting out some really good, easily accessible information. And I'll link to that YouTube channel in the show notes for this episode. Perfect. What about backing us up even further? And like, why are we washing our hands so much? Why are we... I I call it physical distancing as opposed to socially distancing because I still feel just as good about my friends when I go to say hi. Thank you. We're being social. Yeah. We're being social right now. Yes. Thank you. I love that. Um, Physical distance. That is way better, actually. I'm so going to steal that. As usual, I'm going to steal something. I stole that from my buddy, Tim, who has been on the show. So. (laughs) Well, then we will give Tim credit for sure. Yeah. Coronaviruses in and of themselves are not new. It's a cold virus, right? 
it's along with a lot of other different families of viruses. This particular strain of the virus is new and is, is different. Being a cold virus, the main way it spreads is through what we call respiratory droplet or, you know, for lack of better terminology, spit and snot. Nice. <laughs> okay. What that basically means is, and this is kind of part of where that social distancing comes from, right? So why six feet? Well, if somebody sneezes or coughs or what have you, right? You want to be far enough away that it doesn't get to you. Okay. Washing our hands. Well, how often do we unintentionally, you know, touch our nose, touch our mouth, pick our nose, <laughs> whatever, you know, or when we cough, we cough into our hand instead of our elbow, sneeze into our hand instead of our elbow, what have you. So those droplets, those secretions get on our hands, the germs get on our hands, and then we go touching doorknobs and, you know, faucets and, and whatever else. And one of the things we do know about this virus is it, it does live on surfaces for many days. So you wipe your nose, you could have no symptoms whatsoever, right? But you could still be carrying it. You wipe your nose, you touch a door handle, somebody else comes behind you and touches the door handle, they touch their mouth, their nose, next thing you know, there's another case, right? So trying to keep our hands away from our faces, not a bad idea. Trying not to pick our noses, also a good idea. But that's where, you know, the washing hands is so important. Same reason why it's important for us to wash our hands when it comes to the good old regular cold or the flu or any of those other illnesses is that good hand washing technique. And, you know, the other thing too is not sharing drinks, not sharing food, that kind of thing. But that's, that's where the whole kind of social, or as you put it, physical distancing comes from. Cool. And tell me when I go wrong on this next part. When we say that this is a new virus or a unique virus, why that matters is because the human race has not developed resistance to it yet because it's new. And so it's more infectious and it can kind of get to everybody. Am I understanding that correctly? Sort of. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's why I'm asking the doctor. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, so it is new enough. It is different enough from other coronaviruses that in general, as a group, we don't have herd immunity against it yet. I think we're also still learning about the immunity and how long it lasts, right? I mean, we know this from other viruses. You know, there's some viruses where you get it once, you develop immunity, you're unlikely to get it again. There's other viruses, like a lot of cold viruses, that you can just keep getting. We're still learning about this one in particular. But yes, because it was new and it was different enough from other, I guess, coronaviruses, that is part of why it is spreading is that you're, like you said, our immune systems haven't seen it before. And the whole new unique thing also means exactly what you've been saying. We don't really know how it works yet. We're not sure what it's going to do. We're learning a lot really fast. Um, I am constantly blown away by my colleagues in the infectious disease and epidemiology realms brilliant people. I actually just saw a paper come out in the American, um, or about to be published in the journal Pediatrics. I was excited because it was actually co-written by a, a woman that I trained with. It's like, ah, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> but it's, no, everybody is really working hard and fast to try to get ahead of this thing and to try to understand quickly and sharing information to do so. And so it's one of those things where 
a lot of the specifics are hard for me to, to totally talk on because it's evolving so quickly and the information is changing that I don't want to say something that's going to be wrong by the end of the week. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. But we are learning a lot and we're learning a lot fast, which is good. There is a lot that we're learning about transmission, how easily or not easily it's transmitted. You know, there's a lot of work being done on possible treatments as well as just what the course of disease looks like for different people so that we can better intervene quickly for those who need intervention. Does that make sense? No, I, I, I do think that makes sense. And from everything I'm hearing, and obviously you've heard more than I have, but it's clear to me that there's a decent amount of uncertainty around COVID-19. But for all of the uncertainty that exists, things are becoming more certain as the days progress which is good. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And some of that, I'm, I'm going to guess, is that we're kind of getting it late. Like it started in China and then headed west. Sure. And so we're kind of on the last legs of this virus. It's getting to us last. So we get to lean on the international community and the knowledge they have. That's exactly right. So, you know, trying to learn from communities that are ahead of us in this Singapore, Hong Kong, Italy, China, of course. South Korea has been doing a phenomenal job. Yeah, South Korea, exactly. South Korea, Singapore, both from, from what I've read. So, you know, trying to learn, both learn what not to do as well as learn what to do. And then the other thing too, that those looking at those countries gives us information on is then looking at okay so what did they do that worked versus what did they do that didn't work because that can also not just inform what we do but give us information about the virus itself you know what protective gear and hygiene was needed to protect the healthcare workers right those kinds of things i'm going to take a moment actually to get up on my soapbox for a moment please do anybody listening please contact your local government your state government, your representatives, your senators, and tell them to please, please do whatever they need to do to provide your frontline healthcare workers, EMS, et cetera, with proper personal protective equipment. They don't have it right now. And if not only are they putting themselves in, at risk, but if we have to start quarantining healthcare workers, or we lose them from the workforce because they're sick, that's not going to help. Side piece, as a guy who's married to a scientist, there's some science labs that are shut down right now that have PPE in them, that have personal protective equipment in them. So senators, if you're listening, figure that nonsense out and get that stuff out of those labs and into the hands of the people who need it. Thank you. Preach. Um, okay, down off my soapbox now. So yeah, so I mean, I think that Again, it's, I know there's, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty, but again, we're getting more and more information as we go. And I think one of the things that is really reassuring, especially for us as parents, is children do not seem to be very affected at all. They appear to be primarily asymptomatic or very mild disease. Um, small infants being an exception. And of course, children who have, you know, underlying immune deficiencies or, you know, other issues like that, that's a different story. But healthy kids under 19, good demographic. 
Awesome. I have ADHD, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but ADHD is a developmental disorder. <laughs> and also, um, I've been told that I'm young at heart. <laughs> so probably I don't need to worry. I think you're good. <laughs> I think you're solid. Now, I will say, though, a lot of people have, you know, I think one of the questions that some people have is, well, if the kids aren't at risk, right, why have we closed down schools? Why do we have to have them do physical distancing, too, and things like that? And honestly, a lot of it comes down to they, it, 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 there's some information now that suggests that asymptomatic carriers or folks with mild disease, such as kids, may be what we call vectors, also known as nasty little petri dishes. <laughs> right. But they may very well be part of what has spread the illness. And so, you know, keeping them away from each other, away from folks who are at higher risk, like older people or immune compromised folks is really important. And if you think about it, you know, if they're healthy, so they can keep going to school, right, they appear healthy, they might have a little cough or something like that. They go to school. I don't know about you, your boys, but my boys, I'm not counting on them using Purell or washing their hands on a regular basis. Let's be honest, right? My six-year-old's probably going to share boogers with somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, so they also just tend to spread, you know, they tend to share the love. And so I think it's, I think it was um, wise for folks to, for us to shut down the schools as hard as that is for so many of us. And also like one of the things I've observed during this time is at least in my town, and I imagine this extrapolates, people were pretty chill. Yeah. And then school got canceled. <laughs> All of a sudden, the line at BJ's was literally across the entire store. I went live on Facebook filming myself walking down the line in BJ's. It was so crazy long. That's funny. Because people lost it, right? But And that's two things. One, I didn't realize that people got that much certainty out of school still being in session. Sure. But also, if schools hadn't been canceled people would not be taking this seriously. True. And it's important that we take it seriously. Absolutely. It is very important that we take it seriously. And the sooner we do that, and the more we stick to the guidelines, the more we're going to, quote, flatten the curve, as they're calling it, the more people we're going to protect, the less we're going to overwhelm our medical system, and the sooner we're going to get out of this, right? Let's talk about that. Let's dig into flattening the curve and the concern with the, with the medical system and it being coming overwhelmed because that's the point of the social distancing, right? We're not, we're not socially distancing because we're afraid of getting COVID-19 as an individual. We're practicing social distancing, physical distancing, because we don't want everybody to get COVID-19 at the same time because then, then hospitals and walk-in clinics and medical professionals will not be able to handle the sheer number of people who are getting sick. So I actually heard a really good analogy. Again, going to steal it. Think about what happened when everybody rushed to the grocery store and bought all the toilet paper, right? Now imagine that is ICU beds, ventilators, medications, et cetera. Right. I bought a bidet, so. Right? Nice. Well, I'm sitting here going, well, did, okay, did, there's a shower. I mean, you know. I got a link for you. There you go. But no, but it, it, that's exactly right is, you know, if we, it, it's spreading, it, it is limiting the cases, right? And trying to protect people who could be at risk for severe disease. 
but it's also trying to spread out the cases so that they don't all hit at the same time like they did, say, in Italy, and overwhelm our capacity to help people and overwhelm our healthcare system, the number of doctors and providers that we have, the number of beds that we have in the hospitals, all of those kinds of things. That's why we're doing it. And, it, and like you said, it's not just about us. It's not just about us as an individual. It is about coming together as a community. It is about doing what we need to do for all of us together, which in that sense, there's something kind of groovy about it. I wish it wasn't in this way per se, but I do think there's some, some lessons to be learned, some things to be taken from it, but that's, I'm getting all esoteric now, but that is why we're doing it. That isn't, that is exactly why we're doing it. And that's the whole flattening the curve is reducing the sheer number of patients that are coming into the hospital. Yes. Because one, we're just going to overwhelm medical staff. And two, one thing that I think gets lost in this conversation is folks are still getting normal sick and folks are still needing like normal doctor stuff. And this is all on top of what is normal. And the medical staff, the medical community is working at capacity for all of the normal stuff. And now we're throw we're layering on top of that a pandemic. Yes. And so that's where this becomes a crisis. That's where this becomes really challenging because even worse, someone goes in for, let's say heart surgery, like my dad. And now their immune system is reduced because it's working to heal them up from the heart surgery. And while they're at the hospital or wherever they're doing this heart surgery, they're exposed to COVID-19 because of course they're exposed to COVID-19. And now they have to fight that off too. And maybe now they're not successful. Maybe they can't do both. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, or the cancer patient who's immune suppressed because of chemo, right? Or the infant that, you know, unfortunately needs to be born right now, you know, not to mention their mother. All of those, all of those reasons. My parents, your parents, our wonderful, wonderful babysitter who I have shunned away from my home because she's immune suppressed. And I'm like, no, my husband and I are both physicians. We have two boys. You are not allowed in my house right now. <laughs> I will not be responsible. No, it's it, that's exactly right. And it's it's doing what we need to do and making the sacrifices we need to make to protect each other and to be there for each other and to get through this together. And we will. It's just going to take some time and it's going to take everybody doing their part. Yeah. And a ton of patience and people messing up and doing it wrong. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Patience. Thank you. And patience with the medical community, please. <laughs> um, patience with ourselves, patience with our children, patience with our spouses. So what are we missing? Well, you know, a couple things I've been thinking of because as I'm, for example, in my practice, um, one of the things that I realized, I think I really want to make sure folks out there know is, you know, some of those things that are specific to those of us who have ADHD in this kind of situation, right? So for example, with my practice, I'm still seeing patients, right? Patients have to get seen and not just because they're sick. Actually, most of mine are because I mainly see teenagers and I see a lot of kids with mental and behavioral health or ADHD. Those kids still need their medications, right? They still need their follow-ups. So I'm lucky because my practice was already set up to do telehealth or televisits. So remote visits by essentially a secure FaceTime type of situation. 
So I have converted all of my visits that I can to remote visits. I've got a few patients I still have to see in person because that's just the best way for me to practice medicine with those folks, but we're able to do a lot of it remotely. So, but not a lot of people know that that's an option with their, especially if it's not something that their physician offered or their provider offered before. So I want folks to know that a lot of counselors are now moving to televisits, as we call them. A lot of physicians are moving to televisits, even ones who did, weren't able to do that before. A lot of state medical boards are expanding our ability to do telehealth. Um, they're dropping some of the regulations so that we can get on those platforms faster for those who weren't doing it before, okay? So if you have an appointment coming up with your physician or your provider or you need an appointment with them, don't cancel it, okay? <laughs> Unless they call you to cancel, don't cancel. Call them, ask them what the options are, ask them how they're doing things. They also may still want to see you in person for whatever reason, but I would, you know, follow your physician's or your provider's recommendations, but know that a lot of us are actually using that as an option. Know that a lot of counselors are using that as an option. A lot of, I know a lot of ADHD coaches already utilize I do. those kinds of platforms, right? So know that you can still continue your care or your child's care through this. Okay. So that's one thing. The other thing that I think is important is, you know, refills. On medication. Yes. Getting your medicine, getting your child's medicine. So, you know, things to be aware of if it is possible for you to get a 90 day supply of your medicine, which is usually an option if you don't take an, a controlled substance like a stimulant medication, you may want to request a 90 day supply. Your provider may not want to do that for whatever reason. It, you know, it depends on the patient whether or not that's appropriate. But for example, for me, whenever it's appropriate, I'm sending in 90-day supplies for my patients so that they don't have to go to the pharmacy as much, they don't have to leave their house as much, but also they, we make sure they don't run out of their medicine you know, during all of this. We haven't had any suggestions that we're going to have supply issues, so I don't want anybody to take it that way, but just more being proactive and you know, limiting the number of times you have to go you know, to the pharmacy or what have you. Um, and if you do take a stimulant medication, most of us are used to just getting those in month's supply. And there's a few reasons for that. You may be getting it in a month's supply because that's all your insurance will pay for. You may be getting it that way because for whatever reason, that's what's appropriate for you or what your provider's comfortable with prescribing. But there are, but sometimes you can get a 90-day supply of the, the controlled substances. It just depends on the situation. So it's at least worth asking. If it's not an option or your insurance won't cover it, then okay, fine. But it's at least uh, worth asking the question for sure. Cool. And circling back to that, we're not hearing anything about supply issues. This seems like an appropriate time to just be like, yeah, but if, if there's a worst case scenario, maybe I should be ready for it. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> is what I'm going to say to that. An example of that that we were talking about prior to recording is I'm operating under the assumption that my kids are not going back to school this year. And the reason I'm operating under that assumption is because if I'm wrong, it's much easier to transition to, oh, I guess you're going to school tomorrow. Right. Than it is to just be like, oh, you're home this week. Oh, and you're home next week too. Oh, okay. You're going to be home for another two weeks and to constantly have to make that shift over and over and over again, yes. depending on how your state is rolling out this extended break from school. Right. It's easier to, for me at least to be like, 
this is a long-term thing. Let me plan for the long-term so that if I need to shift, I only have to shift once as opposed to planning for the short term and then continuing to kick that can and maybe making mistakes in week one and week two that I otherwise wouldn't make. Because if my kids are home for a week, you know what? It's okay if they play Minecraft all week because they're just going to go to school. Right. And then all of a sudden they're home the next week. And now I have to fight to get them off Minecraft because last week you let me play Minecraft every day, all day. Exactly. No, that's right. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know to be honest, we don't know exactly how long it's going to be. And I do think it's going to vary by location to a certain extent. I don't know that it's going to be the whole semester, but I also think for a lot of folks, myself included, I'm like you, I'd rather plan for it and be pleasantly surprised than have, have the opposite occur. And I think too, what's important is thinking about this as a marathon, not a sprint when it comes to self-care and family care, right? Because like you said, if we're like, oh, it's just a week, it's just two weeks, I'm going to sit and watch Netflix and stay up till two o'clock in the morning and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying don't do that here and there. If that's what floats your boat and that's what self-care means to you, then, you know, cool. But like you said, we, what I'm basically telling my patients is, you know, trying to keep a consistent bedtime, trying to keep, you know, good sleep hygiene so that we're staying rested trying to get outside and get active while still physically distancing, um, but trying to keep your physical activity up, trying to get some sunlight when you can. I don't know about y'all, but here in Texas, it has been raining the whole time. So on top of everything else, every time there's a break in the clouds, I'm like shoving my kids out the door. I'm like, go, go, go. It's snowing right now. So we got a snow day tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> a very long snow day. And, you know, just trying to again, trying to, like you said, kind of keep those good habits and do the self-care that you need for yourself, for your kids. And the social, I think the social piece is one of the big pieces. That's part of why I really liked you saying, you know, physical distancing, not social distancing, is I think that social piece is, is one of the things that's going to kind of rub on people as it goes on, right? And so things like using Zoom, like we are, right, to have virtual, you know, get togethers with people, you know, certainly talking on the phone, texting, what have you. But I think the face-to-face, even though it's not as great on a screen as in real life or in person, it's still better than not having that face-to-face contact. It's like my son and his two, my, my older son and his two friends, we have, we, they did Minecraft together yesterday. And then (laughs) that was a little much. So today we did just a hangout on FaceTime session, you know, just making sure that they're staying connected with their friends, you know, doing that for ourselves as well, staying connected with family members. The other thing that I've kind of started to suggest to folks is, especially for like the older kids and adults, but the younger ones too, is making a habit of reaching out to people who you think need to be reached out to, right? Who may be more isolated. Some of our older relatives or older friends people who may live alone, things like that. And I think first and foremost, it's just important for us to do our part as a community for each other. But the other thing is, is we get something from serving others as well, right? It feeds us and it is helpful for us. And so I think us as adults, but our kids too, giving them something to do that's contributing, that's helping. Everybody wins. Yeah. A couple of thoughts on the, on the, physical distancing, but not socially distancing. Zoom is great. 
Zoom is really powerful for getting to talk to people. Yeah. And we've set up for us, because another thing, another self-care tool is going to play into this. We've set it up so that we meet with my wife's family on Tuesdays at 630 in the evening. And I mean her whole family, her sister, her cousins, her aunts and uncles, her, her mom and dad. We just have a big Zoom and we all hang out, right? Awesome. Yeah. And then my family is on Thursday at 630. So it's my two sisters and us and my dad and we all and my niece and nephew and we all hang out and talk and have like a family reunion right is that since all of this or is that something else that's since all of this that's like i hit the ground and i was like i've got zoom we're all gonna have a family reunion every week and we'll just meet every week and check in and talk about how nothing has changed and it'll be great that's awesome and i'm doing it for two one reason is the, the main reason is the social side of it and and making sure that the family members that might otherwise get isolated don't get isolated and that kind of stuff But the side benefit that I realized is if we schedule it on a Tuesday and a Thursday, if we make it repeating on the same day every week, one of the things that I really think is going to happen for some people is, especially our ADHD folks, you're not going to know what day it is because every day is going to be kind of the same. Yes. And it'll be really easy to lose track of what day it is. So find anchors that let you know what day it is, even if it's something as simple as like, we watch Hulu shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Netflix on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I don't know. Thursday is documentary day and we don't watch movies. We just, you know, like whatever makes sense for you. Or Taco Tuesday. This, that's a great way to know when Tuesday is. Just eat tacos on Tuesday. Oh, I saw a good one. Fancy Friday. You know, get out of your jammies. Actually put some clothes on. Right. Yes. I, I'm only in my jammies because it's late. I've been dressed appropriately every day. And then other thoughts that I've had are uh, if you've got kids in your neighborhood that you're kind of connected to vaguely, if y'all order the same kind of laser tag game, they don't need to touch. Dude. Right? You just blew my mind. I know what I'm getting the neighborhood. Uh Uh-huh. This is what I'm here for. Epic neighborhood laser tag. And I think if you're really careful, you could probably pull off tennis. As long as you don't touch the ball, as, only, as long as only one person touches the ball and everyone else is flicking it with the racket, what, where's, how's that landing for you? Is that a possibility or am I crazy? You're not crazy. I just think, okay, at least especially with kids. Right. Maybe grownups. I'm just picturing my kids and the fact that my six-year-old would probably sneeze on it and then throw it at his brother. I mean, granted, it's his brother, so they're already, I don't need to socially distance them, but you know you get my point. <laughs> I do. But maybe adults could pull off tennis in the street or something. Yeah. Adults might be able to pull that off. I know, um, you know, another one I'd heard is people doing like kind of distance play dates, like six feet away. But I, I think it depends on the age of your kids because small kids in particular, it's going to be hard to keep them away from each other. Um, I think that one might be asking for it. We've got friends who set up their porch and they measured out six feet away and they set up chairs. And they're like, these are our chairs. And if you want to come and visit on our porch of social distancing, you can come and visit and sit in those chairs and all will be well. And I'm waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit more. I mean, the snow needs to melt and it needs to be like at least 60 degrees probably. And I'm going to measure out in my yard spaces that are six feet apart. And then we can still watch a movie in our backyard with our friends as long as everyone stays in their box and brings their own food. So we're going to work on that, assuming it gets warm enough before this stuff wraps up. But that's the plan. Oh, that's.
that's a fun, that's, see, look at you with all the good ideas. I try. I like it. So is there anything else? Is there anything we've missed? Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) But it's late for you too when you're tired and that's okay. You're allowed. And I've been seeing patients all day. Let me go in that direction because I think it's important that we get like the insider view. What is your experience just as a medical provider in all of this? Like what, what's the boots in the ground experience? Well, and I'll be honest, I almost hesitate to call myself boots on the ground, even though I know I am. And I know I spent the whole weekend, you know, going back and forth with my partners, making sure we were constantly developing our protocols and our plans for our patients and all this stuff. Um, But I'm not in the ER. I'm not on the ambulance. I'm not in the operating room like my husband. And most of my patients so far, I have had, I've had a couple that I think may have had it or may have it currently. But most of my patients are not sick or at least not showing symptoms. And I'm not too terribly concerned for myself or my staff in that regard right now. Although I will say we don't have a lot of masks. So if the time comes that we do need to be taking care of folks who are potentially highly contagious, we could be in trouble. But I worry right now because we are, I think a lot of places are trying to kind of more centralize the care and testing for folks. Testing is another thing that needs to ramp up BT dubs, but we just don't have the supplies right now. I worry for my colleagues I worry for their health and safety and I worry for their stamina and for their mental health. One of the things that we've all kind of been throwing around is this term of pre-trauma. We're kind of bracing ourselves and, and I don't want people to take that as, as to say that the medical people are like, Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Right? Like it's just that we're, we're trained to be ready. We're trained to be prepared. We are trained to run into the fire, not away from it. And we're still learning about this fire. (laughs) And a lot of my friends and colleagues do not necessarily have the proper equipment they need to protect themselves from the fire. And that weighs heavy on me probably more than anything else. And I, I hear that concern in your voice, but I think that it's more than just your colleagues that you're worried about in there like it because if your colleagues get sick then there's fewer people treating the people who are also getting sick and that's that's completely valid that's really important ultimately like we've said before the real key is not overwhelming the system and part of the system are the people who are are taking care of everybody and making sure that all of us who want to help and and need to help can and can do so as safely as possible so that we can stay healthy to take care of anybody who may need our help. One of the things I read that actually gave, it gave me this weird sense of like hope and comfort was I was reading about an interview with an epidemiologist and he was talking about how the two things we need to get herd immunity are for people to just get sick and develop resistance and for a virus to show up. And specifically he was saying that we, kind of need the medical professionals and like the truckers and the grocery store workers and those people who are on the front lines of this. We need some of them to get sick so that other people can fill in for them and then they can get better and not have to worry about getting sick because they developed immunity to it Yes, or resistance to it at least. Not that we wish sickness on anybody, but that that's a potentially a component to getting to herd immunity and moving through this. 
I found that to be at least a little bit hopeful kind of, cause I almost felt like, Oh, so if I get sick and get better, I'm helping contribute to herd immunity. And that makes me feel good. <laughs> In that way. Yes. And, and I think, you know, the other thing that I think is, is good to remember is that, you know, it's still the vast majority of people who get, who do get this, if they develop symptoms, it's mild, right? Um, it's mild to moderate and they are able to be cared for at home, just like we would, you know, another cold or, or flu that didn't get real bad, you know, so the vast majority of people are going to be just fine. But like I said, it's, it's protecting those who might not be, but it's also protecting our ability to take care of everyone so that we can get better and, and move through this. And, you know, it's like the flu. A lot of people don't understand how bad the flu actually is. We, we lose thousands and thousands of lives to the flu every single year, but this is not the response we have to the flu. Why? Because we have a certain amount of, of herd immunity. We have the vaccine. We plan for it. We know what the season is. You know, we know what the supplies and beds and everything else that's needed is, you know, we, we know, but we in healthcare also know that the flu is nothing to sneeze at. But yeah, it's it truly it's nothing to sneeze at because most people who get sick, even if they really, really feel bad, are going to be fine. But there are people who aren't going to be fine or who need our help in order to get fine. This is just uh, this is just a little different. I know we already said this, but I think it's just really critical for people to know, especially the folks who are pshawing this and being like, oh, it's this is dumb. It's a hoax. It's not a big deal. It's Please do not pshaw. Yeah. It, a major component of what's going on here is, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the medical support system of this country and most countries uh the glass is pretty much full in terms of what they can handle and now someone has got another glass of water and they're pouring it into that glass and there's your problem that's exactly right so with that said just being mindful of time do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience i think the main thing is just to take it seriously to follow the guidelines and the recommendations being made, but to not panic, to know that this too shall pass and that this is the time for us to come together, support each other, be there for each other, take care of ourselves as well as our community and that we will get through this together. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.